Let's pray. No other name. No other name. No other gospel has the power to save. By the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Help us embrace that truth and be shaped by it, I pray. And help me now, Lord, I pray that I be faithful to your word. Guard me from error and lead me into your truth that I may teach nothing but the truth. I want to represent you well. So help me, I pray. Who can dare speak for one who is infinite? How can a finite mouth and mind dare to proclaim such grandiose, holy, unapproachable realities? So fill me with your spirit and fill these friends with your spirit and speak a prayer to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you really believe that truth that we just sang, no other name has the power to save but Jesus alone. If you believe that, it should shape the way you live. Especially as we sang in the song, that unnumbered, unnumbered peoples are dying around the world without hope. The only hope that the world has, the only hope that all of those thousands and hundreds of unreached people groups around the world and tribes around the world is Jesus. And we have that hope. What will we do with it? We rejoice this morning that we have found that hope. We have sung about that hope with our songs and oh that those this morning who are not gathered to worship like we are this morning oh that they would come to know that hope it is my prayer that we would live and be driven by that it is my prayer that you would live as a married man, as a married woman, as a single, as a student, as a worker, whatever you do in life, that you will live with the understanding that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ and that there are hundreds and hundreds of tribes around the world who do not have a church like we have, like we are gathered here, where they can worship and find hope. 
And let that shape the way that you do your studies as a student. And let that shape the way you make money and what you do with your money. And let that shape the way you think about marriage and everything you do in life. Because we were made for more than marriage. We were made for more than good education. We were made for more than good grades. We were made by God to live in such a way that glory comes to God from every tribe and language and people and nation and and tongues all over the world. And this psalm, Psalm 67, that we will be preaching on this morning, I think teaches us how we are to live, and how we are to think, how we are to pray, how we are to dream. Psalm 67. Turn there in your Bible, Psalm 67. It says, To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song, may God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, sailor, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, sailor. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. Two things about interpreting the Psalms, and then we'll look at this psalm. First, like we saw this morning, rush through the book of Psalms this morning, the Psalms were carefully connect, uh, collected and stitched together. So that when you're reading uh, Psalm 67, you think about the context. You think about the Psalm that, that comes before it and the Psalm that comes after it. And interpret whatever Psalm you're reading, like Psalm 67, in light of its immediate context and in light of the whole book, and in light of the whole canon. And that is what we are going to do this, this morning. That is one, one observation, one note about interpreting the Psalms. Read the Psalms in context. Two, the Psalms are primarily songs and prayers that are Bible-informed. The psalmist prayed and sang these songs as informed by the part of the Bible that they had, mainly the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible. So when you are reading the Psalms, you should be listening carefully to hear when they are alluding to things in the Pentateuch. Because the Pentateuch, for them, the first five books of the Bible was the Bible that they had at the time, and it was the book that they used as a guide to their prayers. So those, those two things. Again, we read the Psalms in context, and when reading the Psalms, you listen to hear what scriptures they are basing their prayers and their songs on. 
And we're going to apply those two things. There is more to interpreting the Psalms, but we'll limit, uh, to limit the, the number to these two this morning. And we'll talk on this Psalm uh, under four uh, sub-points. Uh, one, plea or entreaty, the request, the prayer. And then two, the purpose of the prayer or the end of the prayer. Then three, the passion behind the prayer. And four, the prospect of the prayer. Let's begin with entreaty or the plea or the prayer from verse 0 and verse 1. Now that the capitalized section in the Psalms, that line that says, to the choir master with stringed instrument, a psalm of Dave, a psalm of a psalm, a song. That 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 part is also inspired. Uh, I think we should read it. Some of them are very helpful for interpreting the psalms. When you're reading the psalms, be sure to read that part as well. So let's look at the prayer in verse zero and verse one. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. So the, the people of God, in, the, in, in, in verse 1, are praying to God. Now you, you know they are us there, so they are gathered, hopefully as a congregation, and they are asking God for grace, they are asking God for his blessings, they are asking God for his countenance to be lifted upon them. So they are praying those three things. Now, if you know the Pentateuch, you read these words, you hear Numbers chapter 6, right? Or if you have the ESV, like I do, and there are cross-references in there, if you go to the cross-reference on, on the center of the page or wherever they are in your Bible, you will note that there is a cross-reference to Numbers chapter 6, verse 25. Now, let's turn there quickly. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 25... Let's read from verse 22 just to give it context. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, do you hear the words of Psalm 67, verse 1, in those verses? So, what, we, what is happening in the Psalms is the prayer or the blessing that God assigned to the priestly household, to Aaron and his sons, to bless the people of Israel with, that prayer and that blessing is now being ushered to God from the mouth of the people of God. The priestly prayers are now being prayed by the people of God. It's as though the people of God have become priests and now can order the words that were for priests to be prayed on them. The people of God are praying priestly prayers as though they have themselves become priests. So the fact that the psalmist here takes us back to Numbers chapter 6, says that he has at least the journey from Egypt to, 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 to the promised land in mind, as he is 
praying or as they are singing and praising God in, in the temple. Now let's look at the context. Is it true that the psalmist has the exodus in mind? I think that the context confirms that. Look at Psalm 66 with me. So Psalm 66 can be divided into two major sections. The first section will be from verse 1 to 12. And, and if, you, if you read those, those, that, that first section, you know that the pronouns in that, in that first section are mainly plural. Um, we, we are going to read a, few, a section of it. And then the next section, 13 to the end, the pronouns there are mainly singular. It's as though the psalmist in Psalm 66 has meditated on the past work of God and is now applying that in his own life with the use of the first person pronoun, beginning from verse 13. But let's read verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me of Psalm 66. It says, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. Verse 6, He turned the sea into dry land, they passed through the river on, on foot. There did we rejoice in him. Now, where, what is that talking about? Where is it that God turned the sea into the dry land and, and they passed through on foot? That is, uh, uh, again, drawing us back to the exodus from Egypt, right? To the Red Sea, to what God did. And note that verse 6 ends with, there did we rejoice in him. Now, this is a later generation, but they, they, they are identifying themselves with what God did with the people of God of old, such that what God did with, the, with Israel of old, this present Israel is identifying with that work and saying, there did we rejoice in, in his works. And if you continue reading that, that section all the way to verse 12, you, will, you, you, you hear the psalmist there simply walk us through the exodus with a lot of allusions and pointing us back to that exodus uh, motif. This leads me to think that Psalm 66, in Psalm 66, the author meditates on the work of God at the exodus and prays and applies the significance of that work in his life. And then Psalm 67, the people of God together are praying that the same grace, the same favor that God once showed his people in the wilderness through Aaron and the priests, that that same blessing be poured upon them. So it's as though they are longing for an exodus-like blessing upon themselves. Now, that is further confirmed again. Look at the, the next psalm, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 from uh, verse 0. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. Now, put your finger there and turn with me to Numbers chapter 10, verse 35. Let's see what is happening in that psalm. Numbers chapter 10, verse 35. 
in Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, Moses writes, And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. So what is going on in Numbers chapter, chapter 10? In Numbers chapter 10, we are simply given a recollection, a review, as it were, of what Moses used to do. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant set out, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and those who hate you flee before you. This is what Moses used to do in history. Now look at Psalm 68 verse 1. In Psalm 68 verse 1, the tense changes. Do you notice that? You see those little shells in that verse? It says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. So again, the psalmist here goes back to what Moses used to do, and then longs for Yahweh, for God to do that same work and sets it in the future. What Moses used to do for Israel, the psalmist is here saying, God will one day again arise and all of his enemies will be scattered and, he, and all those who hate him shall flee before him. These constant allusions with these three psalms to the Exodus suggest to me that when the psalmist prays in verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that this is a longing for God to do a similar work of the Exodus, a work that is similar to what he did to Israel of old in bringing them out of Egypt, saving them out of Egypt for the promised land. And, and that longing is a longing that is not just true of the psalmist in this, in this psalm that we have read and these psalms that we have read. It's also true of the prophets and, and finds fulfillment somewhere and is finding fulfillment today. But turn with me quickly to uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 16. Let's see another prophet express a similar longing for God to walk in a similar way that he walked when he brought his people out of Egypt. Jeremiah 16 from verse 14. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when, I shall not, when it shall no longer be said, as Yahweh lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but... As Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring, bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares Yahweh, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from the mountains and from every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. Let's end there. What is, what is Jeremiah doing here? Or Yahweh speaking through Jeremiah. God speaking through Jeremiah. God is saying through Jeremiah, I am going to do a work that will be of such a magnitude that would eclipse the great paradigmatic work that I did when I brought my people out of Egypt. Such that, though I have been known as the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt, the work that I will do will be of such a magnitude 
and would overshadow that one, and people will no longer call me as the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt. They will call me as the God who delivered his people from the north country and from all the countries from where I have scattered them. And how does this find fulfillment? He says that he was going to send out fishers and send out hunters to hunt his people and to bring them home. And then we continue reading in our Bibles when we get to the New Testament. There is a Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and we, 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 we hear of one who is born, Jesus Christ. And he goes down to Egypt. He is brought out of Egypt. And like, like, like Israel, he goes through the waters of baptism and goes up to the wilderness similar, the way that, similar to what Israel uh, went through in the wilderness, is tempted in the wilderness. And when he comes out of the wilderness, he calls his disciples. What does he tell them when he calls them? He says to one of them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What is happening? Is Jesus simply saying that because Peter was a fisherman? No. Jesus, when he says that, he is by that expressing the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah, the longing of the psalmist that God will bring about the new exodus. He is calling the disciples to himself as the means by which God will now bring his people to himself from all the nations where he has scattered them. And Jesus dies on the cross, so he comes, he calls disciples to himself as a means to bring about this, this exodus that the psalmist is longing about, and he dies on the cross, and we know from, from Luke chapter 9, verse 30, that his death on the cross was a fulfillment of the exodus. He initiated the plan of God to harvest people for himself from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. So the psalmist, turn back with me to Psalm 67. In Psalm 67, when he prays this way, he is praying for God to do a new Exodus work. And that work, that longing, that prayer is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus, who is now harvesting a people for himself through the disciples whom he has made fishers of men. And through his church whom he has made fishers of men. Now let's... Look at the second point. So that was point one, the prayer. Point two, the purpose of the prayer or the end of the prayer. That is verse two of Psalm 67. So may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Sailor, verse two, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So according to this verse, the psalmists and the people of God here are not contented with just receiving blessings from God. Like, God be gracious to us, God bless us. They are praying for divine blessings with a purpose in mind. They have an end that is driving their prayers. These are not selfish prayers. They are prayers that are aimed at spreading the saving power of God among the nations. Your way and your saving power be known among the nations. What is the way of Yahweh? What is the saving power of Yahweh? We know that when we turn to the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the way. And we know that Paul speaks of him as the power of God. The gospel of God, the gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation. We know that Paul also talks of him in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 as our redemption or our salvation. So the way of God and the saving power of God that the psalmist 
is talking about here in a biblical theological context refers to primarily to Jesus who is the way and who is the saving power of God. So when the psalmist prays this way or when we, should, when we pray this prayer, our aim and our goal should be that Jesus as the way and as the saving power of God be known among the nations. Now, one thing I do want to, 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 to emphasize here is on this purpose is that it's very easy to just pray for blessing. Who doesn't want to be blessed this morning? I want to be blessed this morning. I want to have a, a blessing in my marriage that we have a healthier, stronger, peaceful, joyful marriage. I want blessings in my marriage. Who doesn't want to be blessed as a student? Don't you want to have A grades in your classes? Who doesn't want to have a good, flourishing business? There is nothing wrong with wanting good health in your marriage. There is nothing wrong with wanting blessings in your job. There is nothing wrong with wanting God to prosper your business. But if you make that thing an end in itself, there is a problem to it. The psalmist does not want us, God does not want us to pray for blessings as end in themselves. He wants you to insert in your prayers and mean it with all of your heart as so that that is informed by his work among the nations. So we can pray like this. God, would you bless us this afternoon with my wife that we would have a healthy conversation and healthy marriage so that... Now what comes after that determines what your prayers are aimed for. So that through us, your way may be known among the earth. Because our marriage is not about us. Our marriage is not about me. It's not about her. It's about you being known. And I can tell you, if you approach life this way, if you approach marriage this way, if you approach singleness this way, if you approach education this way, it gives meaning, significance. Do not live for little dreams like a peaceful marriage. Do not live for little dreams like having a great business. Do not live for little dreams like having A grades and doing really well and having a high IQ. Those are little teeny bit of dreams. Live for something glorious that is earthwide. Like this, that your way may be known in all the earth, your saving power among all nations. Pray this way, live this way, think this way, feel this way. And do not give yourself to the kind of dreams that would not set you apart from those who do not even know this hope that we have in Christ. Insert that purpose in your prayer and in your life, in your everything. Let that drive you. Now let's look at the passion. So we've seen the prayer, the purpose. Now let's look at the passion. What is the passion behind this? We see that in verses 3, 4, and 5. Now verse 3 and verse 5 are identical. Exactly the same. Look at those verses with me. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 5. That is the passion behind this prayer. The, the fact that he repeats that same line twice, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, shows that that is a passion. You know, when you are passionate for something, you cannot but speak about it. Think of a young man who gets into a relationship and is really in love with this young woman. Your friends get bored from hearing you tell the same story over and over. Because you cannot keep yourself from talking about her. Because you are passionate. And that passion flows with the repetition. Right? You want your friends to hear and hear again about that same girl. The same thing that you told them an hour ago, you want them to hear again. And the psalmist here with this repetition is highlighting for us what makes him tick. What is it behind this longing for a blessing from Yahweh, for this prayer, and what is it about this purpose? What is underneath this? It's a deep passion. It's a deep longing. It's a deep eagerness for God to be praised. He longs for his God to be praised by all the peoples of the world. My English teacher, when I was in school, at age seven or so, taught us that peoples with S at the end is wrong English. <laughs> so when I started reading the Bible and I saw this, I thought, wrong English in the Bible. <laughs> she was wrong. <laughs> the peoples here is good English is it refers to all the tribes, all the languages, all the, 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 the ethnic groups around the world. So when the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, he is asking that every language on earth would render praise to his, to his God. He is driven by that passion. And I note one observation on those two verses. Note that he does not command the nations. Praise Yahweh. Now, that is good. Some Psalms do that. That is okay. But note that he says, let the peoples praise you. Now, why word it that way? Why not just turn around to the peoples and say, turn around, praise Yahweh. He could do that and it would be okay. Right? Some Psalms do that and we, we are okay with it. Why does he not do that here? I think that in wording it this way, in, in, in describing his passion this way, he does so to show us that for the peoples of the world to praise Yahweh, he has to let it happen. For anyone in the world to praise Yahweh, for anyone to open their mouth and praise him for who he really is, he has to make it happen. And Jesus taught us to pray the same, right? When he says we should pray, hallowed be your name. We come to the Father and we pray, would you cause your name to be hallowed? Because he can only be hallowed and praised when he moves people to do so. That means that this is passion that is a God-dependent passion. 
Now let's look at the ground. What, what if it, let's just get deeper into this guy's heart. The ground of this passion. Look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4 says, Let the, the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let's pause there quickly. So are the nations to praise or just be glad and sing for joy? Are they to do both? Yes, they are to do both. Because praising God and rejoicing in Him are married in, in the work of, of salvation. Uh, John Piper has famously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Or God is most praised in Him, in, in, in us when we are most glad in Him. So those two are not opposed to one another. But let's continue reading. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. The firm foundation on which he bases his passion his purpose and his prayer is that God is the judge of the earth who judges rightly and he guides the nations of the earth. By guiding the nations of the earth, he is in essence saying that God is sovereign over the nations of the earth. So the psalmist can long that the peoples praise him because he knows that when God in his sovereign power breaks into a nation... No nation, no president, no leader will resist him because he is the one who guides the nations upon earth. The nations on earth, North Korea, is not outside of the guiding sovereign power of God. China or any closed, closed nation on earth is not outside the sovereign control of Yahweh our God. He guides the nations upon earth. Oh, Psalm 22, verse 27 and 27. Or verse 27. Yeah, Psalm 22, 27 and 28. Not 27, 27. He says, All the families of the earth shall remember and return, and all the, the, the earth shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to you, and you rule over the nations. The only ground, the only basis that we have in knowing and praying with confidence and passionately aiming towards the nations worshiping our God is that He rules over the nations. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no nation that escapes His ruling power. Every square inch on planet earth belongs to Christ because He made it and He rules over it. And when He chooses to break into any nation, He will break into that nation with His saving power no matter who rules over that nation. Because He rules over all the presidents of the world. And not just that, He rules even over principalities and powers and sicknesses and diseases and anything that you can ever name and any name that can be named. He stands above all and He guides all to do His purposes. So we can be engaged in this work of missions. We can be driven by such a passion because we know that the God who stands behind us, the God who, under, who is underneath this passion for his name to be worshipped, is a God whose power is limitless. Sicknesses will not keep his name from being honored among the nations. Presidents will not keep his name from being honored among the nations. He rules over all of them. The only hope that anyone can have in going to a 
prosperity gospel infused land is that this is true. The only hope that anyone can have in going to a Muslim Islamic views infused territory in the world is that we have a God who is sovereign over all. Do not let sickness, do not let anything keep you from this, this passion. Because your God stands over all of them. Let's look at the last point. The expectation or the prospect. Verse 6 and verse 7. It says, The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now note in verse 1, he prays, God, or they pray, God bless us. Then in verse 6, he says, the earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. So there is, there is a prospect that he has. God shall indeed bless us. And when God would have blessed us, the earth shall yield its increase. Now I know that you're looking at the ESV and you're saying, no, that is past tense. It says the earth has yielded. How can you think of that as prospect? We'll come back to that. But let's, let's, uh, let's, let's make a few observations here. This, that little phrase, the earth has yielded its increase, is used a few times in, in the Hebrew Bible. And I do want us to, 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 to turn to, to um, two of those instances. Turn to Ezekiel with me, Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, from verse 25. Ezekiel says, or Yahweh speaking through Ezekiel, from verse 25, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish the wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and, and sleep in the woods. Verse 26, And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. Verse 27, And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. Now that very phrase that we, we saw in Psalm 67. And they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am Yahweh, when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. So that same phrase in, in Psalm 67, Ezekiel uses the same phrase and says it's going to be future. And it will happen when God would have established a covenant of peace. And when God would have established that covenant of peace, the earth, he's establishing the covenant of peace with his people, the earth shall respond to that by being fruitful. And you could see the same thing in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 12, where Zechariah also speaks about a covenant of peace and how when God would have established that covenant of peace, the earth will respond in fruitfulness. Now, Zechariah wrote several years after, after Ezekiel. In, in fact, after the, the, the return from exile. 
that after the return from exile, Zechariah is still speaking about the earth yielding fruit someday when God would have established a covenant of peace, tells us that the restoration from exile was not it. There is a future yet awaiting the people of God. And I think that when he says that the earth will yield its increase when God would have established a covenant of peace, that that is primarily pointing us to the end of the age. When the way of God and the saving power would have been known in all the earth and all the nations would have come to worship him, the earth will respond with Edenic blessings and fruitfulness such that there will be a stream, a city with a stream, with trees around that, that, that stream, the, the, the leaves of which will be there for the healing of the nations. Because Eden will be brought back to life. I think that this verse is primarily pointing us to that. And why does the psalmist speak about it in this way? If that is entirely future and it will happen and finally fulfill in, in the book of Revelation when Jesus comes back again, how, how can he say about it in verse 6 of Psalm 67 as the earth has yielded its increase? Why speak about it that way? I think he speaks this way, the earth has yielded its increase even though at this time the earth has not yielded that increase in that way because when Yahweh says, I will make a covenant of peace and the earth will respond with Edenic blessing that we will not need an Eden Baptist church because all the world will be Eden. When Yahweh says that, it is as good as done. You can speak about it in the past tense. Because it is sure to come to pass. Just like Paul does in the New Testament, right? He called us and he has justified us and he has glorified us. You have been glorified. I don't look very glorious this morning. But I have been glorified. This earth doesn't seem to be yielding, responding. It doesn't seem like Eden Although we are at Eden Baptist Church, Eden is not here yet. But the certainty of it can move us to speak about it in past tense. So, Eden Baptist Church, would you pray and live and seek blessings from Yahweh in the way that the psalmist prayed, with the aim that his way may be known in all the earth and be driven by that same passion in hopes that soon that passion, that prayer will be answered and that dream that is a live, a live dream of yours will be realized and we will be ushered into a bliss, a fruitful earth to live with our God forever and ever. Would you live to that end? Would you live to that end? Would you pray to that end? Would you? Let's pray. God, would you be gracious to us? And bless us and make your face to shine upon everyone in this room. Make your face to shine savingly upon every, any unbeliever in the room. Make your face to shine 
redemptively upon every marriage in this room. Make your face to shine joy-givingly upon every single in this room. Make your face to shine upon all here this morning, no matter the circumstances. And grant, O God, that every single one of us would live with the purpose to see your name honored among the nations. Oh, make that, I pray, a passion of all of us as we live in hopes of the new and better Eden, a fruitful earth with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.